end of 19, beginning of 20, I was on a pretty big speaking tour because I also speak. Like that's more what I prefer uh-huh. myself. Like going, like I'm on Thursday, I'm speaking at a 650 person event. Sick. I like that stuff, yeah. you know, because I get to meet people and cool. do it, you know. And so then COVID happened and everything kind of got sidetracked. Now they're kind of coming back to speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like crazy. Like crazy, yeah. I think people need it. They're like, well, events are happening again. Yeah. You know, it's a little overwhelming though at first, right? Because you go from like, okay, nothing's going on. Like it's easy enough for you to just pop on a Zoom or do like a webinar or whatever people want to do. And then all of a sudden now you got to go back out and travel. Yep. Um, Because I was just listening to this thing, uh, a podcast where they were saying that. Jamie Dimon was just saying like no more Zoom meetings anymore because he You're lost sick of it. He well, and he lost business over mm-hmm. not doing in person meetings any anymore. So they're like, okay, we're not doing Zoom anymore. We're going back to in person. So now everybody's flying around again yep. to go meet with everybody because we realized Zoom was like a good filler to like get it done when we couldn't. But it's not like the way people want to continue. Oh no, no, going forward, and, and you lose so. I mean, you lose so much, like truly. And I, and I don't think people truly understand the long-term ramifications of working remote, mm-hmm. um, missing the sidebar, just like the simple conversations you have when you're not working. Yeah. The collaboration that you want to grab lunch. Do you yeah. want to bring lunch in today? I'm busy. Hey, can I get you anything? Those kinds of bonds that are created in the office environment, coupled yep. with the events and, and what that does for the local economy. Because if there's no business travel, hotels suffer, restaurants suffer, Ubers and transportation suffer, airlines suffer. And you're like, well, I don't own any of those. It doesn't matter. But wait till you want to participate. Right. You want those restaurants near your house. You want those hotels thriving. You want the airlines having routes. Because if no one's flying San Diego, Tucson for business, well, then why would Southwest, they're going to keep shrinking their routes. Then you're going to have to get there and you're going to have to fly to Utah to get to Tucson. And you're going to go, this sucks. Yeah. So as a collective, just society, like getting back to business travel is like the number one driver for airlines. And as a result of that, it's the number one driver for hotels. And if you look around real hotels, there's restaurants. And where do you think those people come from? Yeah. Business travel, because that's all the time. Summer's busy. Spring break's busy. Christmas is busy. But the business travel holds them. The business travel, it's kind of like uh, tourism is like San Diego State. You know, there's downtimes. But the everyday, the garden variety, the consistency is all that business travel. It's so true, too, because I know when we're flying, like, I remember we used to get on the plane. And I'd be like, who the hell are all these people flying business or first class like who are they who's paying these ridiculous prices for the tickets and we talked to one of the um flight attendants and she's like oh these are frequent travelers yeah. like these are mostly business travelers who get all these miles and they get up into the diamond club and then this platinum and, these, all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and they spend their life on the airplane so you, you realize that all those first class tickets are mostly like people who travel hundreds of thousands of miles a year correct so i could imagine if you had to get rid of that plus all of the, the other folks who are in <laughs> All the commenters. Well, well just like in, even even yeah. um, even uh, David Meltzer was saying, he he probably spent just in eating out and socializing a million dollars a year. And he goes, just take me, one guy, cut that off. Yep. Times how many? That's I just I'm not spending. It's out of the economy. Right. That's a problem. Yep. I mean, even last year alone, during COVID, with limited travel or travel requirements, I traveled the least amount last year as I have in three years. I had 71 round trip flights with Southwest. Sheesh. But that's because we have stores all over, and Southwest flies to a lot of our locations. So for me to get to San Francisco, we had a store, Phoenix, Tucson, um, Salt Lake City, Vegas. Those are quick, right? And you just zip, 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 zip. And some days I'd fly in the morning and fly home the same day. But you think about that. That was last year with no COVID. Yeah. 
and or I'm saying at the height of COVID. Yeah. You know, pre-COVID, like the year before, in 2019, I probably had over a hundred days of of a hundred flights. I mean, round trip <laughs> flights, just with speaking engagements, personal stuff, business stuff, investor stuff. And I'm not even on David. I don't spend a million dollars a year in that. I yeah. spend less. Yeah. But I'm still. That's still out of a, you know. But also you're one guy who's still I'm doing all those, yeah, yes. trips. And I had at least over 100 nights in a hotel last year. Jesus. So that's a almost a quarter of the year. Yeah. And that was, but if I stopped because everything was Zoom and I didn't have to do it, it was like, well, that's bad for everybody. Yeah, it was nice. It was, I think it, we all had a nice little break. But then it was like, okay, we still want to get, like, I still want to meet in but, person. But the, people. but the, like you're saying it our world's set up for travel. And if you don't, you're going to have a lot of economic problems. Yeah. Like you could just see it, but you can't, we were set up for this. Like we're not set up to just, I mean, I get it. If you're a tech guy and you don't have to go in office, you can do the same thing from your house. You don't be with people. No problem. But the salesman guy, it's like, you got to get on the plane. Well, it's like downtown San Diego. If you think of like the gas mm-hmm. lamp, it was built for that convention center to be full yeah. 300 days a year with yeah. events. If it's not, all those restaurants suffer, all those hotels suffer. And then that means, Employees aren't working and aren't getting as much money, which means they're spending less money on everything else. It's a trickle down. It's yeah. a trickle down. And so tourism, I mean, America's a consumption economy. We don't really produce things, we consume. And so if we don't consume, it hurts everybody. I, I say that already, our three and a half year old. I'm like, wow, she's become quite the consumer. Uh-huh. All she talks about, all the things she <laughs> oh, wants, yeah. all the things we need Amazon to get. Amazon made it real easy, oh, huh? How did oh this my happen? God. Every day's Christmas. Jeff Bezos knew exactly what he was doing. Just slowly going to get there. Oh, you think it's books? No. Mm-hmm. You don't know. He knew. <laughs> Should we get going? Yeah. yeah, I thought we were going. We're already going. Oh, cool. Are we going? Yeah. Even better. Hey, we started. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Awesome. I'm curious too, just kind of like your background and how you got into, like what was the evolution? Because now that I know you do speaking and you did the podcast, was Everbowl first? Was that the trajectory that kind of got you into speaking? And um, Not, yes and no. So I did, uh, Everbowl was really a passion project. Um, it was, I had quasi not been working for about, a, I sold a digital marketing agency, my clients off, and I had about a year plus of driving my wife and kids crazy. And um, that was kind of before that, in my speak, in my digital marketing days, I was speaking as well a little bit, but less so because we didn't have all of the podcast craze and we didn't have all of the, so in, social media wasn't as big as it is now. And so it was more, you know, speaking about different things. My background is serial entrepreneur style. So degenerate entrepreneur if my wife has uh, <laughs> her coinage of it well it's worked out well for you so far it has it has i like to say i'm just a prof- i'm a i'm a problem solver yeah and that's kind of what i like to do is I, I find problems and solve it but um i never wanted to be an entrepreneur that was not like my thing uh, so funny i kind of got thrust into it because of uh, an ego and a fight after law school with my only i had a job for six months and um i'll give you the quick one quick backstory so Graduated law school to be a sports agent. Actually, uh, David Meltzer at the time was the president of Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. Right. And I, Dave Meltzer and me are lifelong friends. Our moms are best friends. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, That's they so work funny. together. So I've been known I didn't even know since that. high school. Holy he was in high school. Smoke. I was a little younger. That's just who he is all the time. Like the most positive, <laughs> he's amazing changed. human being. I he, just feel like. He's grown. Yeah. I was so, what, me and him were actually writing a book before COVID about uh, mentor-mentee relationship because. He's been my big brother since I was literally four years old. He used to come watch me play Little League, babysit me. Oh my he God. was in high school. I used to wear his jersey and go watch him play football. Uh-huh. So we were friends, and I've interned or worked in all of his companies along the way. I went to law school to be a sports agent to work with him at Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. Um, I had a, a daughter in law school, so I didn't want to pursue that career. And 
he got out of the industry as well. And so after law school, I didn't know what to do. So I got a job at ADP selling payroll. I remember oh, this. Yes. And uh, it was people to, call me so much. They're I so know. annoying. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to be honest. It is a great model though. It teaches the ability to relentlessly hound people and get your sale done because everyone needs payroll. And so the ability to just take all the no's and eventually get to yes. They even have it down to a formula. Mm -hmm. 50 phone calls will yield five appointments so that they figure, you know, nine out of 10 people are going to hang up on you. And then if you get five appointments, you'll close one or two deals and you'll make your quota and you'll make money and they'll make their money and it works. It's good training <clears throat> for sales. Great training. Yeah. Like honestly, if I was hiring and I did hire from, uh, if I needed outside salespeople, go look at payroll companies because yes. they have a really good training model and it's really good to get that relentless sales human. That's honestly, That's yeah. Almost like recruiting too. That's yeah. 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 Because honestly, they're paid off commission. That's they right. really get paid. Minimum. And they're, they get immune to the nose and they learn the nuances and how to be a little, the ones who are successful, you get creative. Yeah. And so you want a creative, outgoing, forward thinking person. So I, I worked at ADP and um, I found a creative way to sell payroll. I was the number one sales rep in the country. My first wow. six months cool. there, made Jeez. President's Club, uh, got an award because I beat all the seasoned vets and I was only there six months. And I had made a $17,000 annual bonus that I hit in my contract. And so it was January of 08, I guess it was January of 08. And I went to my boss and said, hey, can I get the, the bonus? And my boss said, yeah, you'll get it at the end of the fiscal year. And that was the end of the fiscal year ended in June. I'd get it in July because it was an annual goal. And I was like, well, hold on. I just bought a house. Literally, I just bought a house in Mira Mesa, my first house. My fiance and daughter were there. I had six figures in law school loans, a mortgage, and I needed the money. So I was yeah. like, I need the money. That's why I was selling so hard. And long story short, went back and forth. Eventually, they said, you're not getting it until July. And I threatened to quit if they weren't going to give it to me, thinking they wouldn't let you know me walk out that door. I had a big head, big ego. I'm a sales rep, number one guy. Yeah. You know, there's my name on the yeah, wall. You don't want to lose me. <laughs> you don't want to lose me. Yeah. They didn't care. So um, I went home that night. I said to my fiance, I can't, I can't live like this. Like I can't be in a position where I'm going to have to trade all of the future years waiting for some bonus that I earn. Like uh, I need to be able to eat what I kill, so to speak, every yeah. day. And if I fail, I fail. But if I'm successful, pay me. And I said, I want to quit my job. I want to sell our house. We've been in there a couple months. And I want to move in with my mom and dad and start my own payroll company because fuck ADP. Excuse my language. Yeah. Um, she was supportive. And so I went in the next day. I quit, sold the house, moved my daughter and fiance into my mom and dad's house, started my own payroll company out of my mom's kitchen called iChex with a Your buddy. Your mom and dad are really nice to let you guys move in. I mean, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they like you a little bit. They like me. They, like me. Yeah, yes, yeah. they were supportive. Um, <laughs> they were nervous and told me I was crazy because I was leaving a six-figure job fresh out of law school. And selling everything moving them in. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. My dad, who's a do conservative doctor, my mom was a teacher, so neither of them had any background. But back then, the word entrepreneur wasn't even a thing. Yep. It wasn't it was, cool. It, it was either. not. There was no, no. Yeah. no one to look up. It was a business owners. Yeah. And, and everyone used to say, what do you know about running a business? Nothing. I, I don't know anything, but I know I can sell the ever-living yeah. piss out of this. So why don't we do I'll that? I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And so I started my own payroll company out of my mom's kitchen called iChecks with a buddy. Grew it, scaled it. We ended up raising private equity capital, changed the name to Canada PHR and sold off in 2011. Uh, along that journey, I started a recruiting agency because I, I happened to start that company at the height of the financial recession crisis, which was terrible timing. Um, but it's okay because I found a way to pivot. It worked out. And then after that, uh, my youngest child was born in 2011. And so I wanted to not be at an office and traveling a bunch for that. Uh, in Orange County in San Diego, we had two offices, a lot of travel, Clients are all across the country. So I figured, you know what, let's um, do something from a computer because that's not going anywhere. So 
I started a digital marketing agency called JFN Holdings, focusing on relationship-based digital marketing to help kind of tend to ten, one to $10 million companies initially, but then eventually 10 to $100 million a year companies sell more products and services online. Partnered with a guy named Neil Patel, who's pretty renowned in the digital marketing space. Yeah. Um, so Neil and I, from 2012 to 15, helped some of the- Hey, he has a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The one you like, okay, cool. Yeah. Quick Sprout, his blog. He co-founded Hello Bar, Crazy Egg, Kissmetrics. Um, he's a savant. He's like phenomenal at this. And I'm really good at relationships and sales, so it was a good partnership. Uh, so we worked with some of the biggest websites on the planet, helping them make a bunch of money. So sold that off in twenty into 2015, and that was kind of like, okay, I don't really need to worry too much about what I'm doing right now, so I was going to take some time. But me and my uh, ADD taking time, driving my, my wife and kids crazy, they said, go do something you're really passionate about, and that was the birth of Everbull. So they got used to all your crazy ideas. They were just like, okay, this is what Jeff does. He just <laughs> yeah. gets a crazy idea, and he runs with it, and it works out. Yes, I love starting companies. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that what, that's what I like. So you kind of like to start and get them at a certain point, and then just like, let somebody just scrum and take over. Yeah, because I, I really identified what I'm good at. I'm good at the three of us sitting at this table. If we come up with a cool idea for a better water bottle or the, a product or service or, or whatever that's not out there, I'm really good at saying, okay, I can use what I know and get this off the ground and get past proof of concept, get to pretty some form of scalability. But then you get to the point where it's like you're not solving problems, big problems, and figuring out unknown white space. You're actually crunching the data and saying, how do I get the little plastic ring on top of this thing, just a little bit cheaper, because if I do that times a billion bottles, that's going to be in, and you know, what kind of ink are we dealing with here and who, and now you're getting into a lot of the optimization and sophistication part of it. And it just doesn't excite me. So I tend to bring in people who are good at that. And at that point, what am I best to do? Well, let me go start another problem. Yeah. So with, with Everbowl, it was the culmination. Um, I use this concept of vertical integration. I think I spoke to you guys about that when we met yeah. uh, in Arizona. And that's what I use to make my company successful as well, because as an entrepreneur, what a lot of entrepreneurs and what I teach in my entrepreneurship stuff is how to be successful. And so what I think a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs fail to realize is what they actually do for a living. Mm -hmm. I'm successful with zero experience. And I use, I use this saying, you know, I think experience is the most overrated prerequisite to start a company. So if I had an idea. I don't care that I don't know how to do it. That's fine. I can, I can be successful. Restaurants, I'm competing with chefs. They're not business owners or entrepreneurs. They're chefs. Mm -hmm. I'm not a chef. I'm a business owner or an entrepreneur. So what they are failing to realize is, is at the crux, they're a business. And that means that they have to know how to run a profitable restaurant. That means you have a P&L, a balance sheet, payroll, insurance, employees. You have COGS. You have um, other expenses, fixed and variable expenses. You have marketing. You have all these things. I didn't even mention how to cook food. Yeah. So nine out of 10 restaurants fail because nine out of 10 restaurants are being run by chefs who are great chefs but maybe don't know what they're doing yet on the business side. Mm -hmm. I may not be a good chef, but I know how to do the business side. And so the business side is pretty agnostic to industries, whether you're in the real estate game, whether you're in the restaurant game, digital marketing, payroll, uh, you're a dentistry office, you're a chiropractor, you sell flowers, you still have a biz underlying business underneath it. And so what I try to help through speaking, et cetera, is open people's eyes to realize what you are is you're a business owner or an entrepreneur. You can pick whichever term you like better. That's the most important thing you do. What you do is second, because I don't care if you're selling food or you're selling dentistry services or you're selling art. If you're not understanding those and you don't have a profitable, scalable business, you're going to go out of business. Mm -hmm. So rule number one is stay in business today. And rule number two is always have options. And so vertical integration gives you options. It gives you the ability to pivot. It gives you the ability to alter your business as things come up, because it's easy to be successful when everything is going your way. 
Yep. When the wind is behind your sails, the boat moves. But when you have black swan events like COVID or a financial crisis of 2008, or you have um, other weird black swan events that, that maybe aren't even so specific, but uh, as I mean, so global, but are specific to your industry or your market. Like if you're in digital marketing and Google changes its algorithm or Instagram changes its algorithm and you're an influencer. Or food costs go do? up. Food costs yeah. go up. Yeah, you have, you have yeah. a tornado in the Midwest and it wipes out half of your, your product costs go way, go through the roof or you get into a trade war with another country where we import that and now there's tariffs. There's just so many things outside of our control that you've got to be able to pivot and you've got to be able to adapt. And so um, to answer, long-winded answer to your question of how, what got me into speaking, Everbowl is great because it's the most forward consumer-facing brand or company I've ever had. My payroll business, most people don't know what that is unless I happened to be working with you and did your payroll. Yeah. My digital marketing, we were behind the scenes. We were growing companies and, you know, if you saw me, we did something wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. You're not supposed to know who I am. You're supposed to be buying more of whatever widget we're trying to help move. Um, Everbowl is different because it is more of a passion project. It is something that I built with the idea of I won't have to exit as quickly. And I vertically integrated. So I started my own construction company. We build out every Everbowl. So, so our own internal company does all the build outs. That I, part is just blows. That part is like, you really should go into that specific because that's the one thing I remember when you guys went through that, how, like, can you just say from start to finish how fast, I mean, what's the plans yep. on how fast can you put together a store? So today, <clears throat> if you gave me a blueprint for, let's say the office we're in right now, and it was a former restaurant of any kind. And you handed me the keys and said, I'm ready for you to come in and, and, and we're signing the lease today. Within three days, we would have it approved design with you. Uh, four days later, it's built. And then four days on site, it's installed. So you're, you're really looking at 11 work days, two weeks. Um, we can go from sitting at this table to installed, ready yeah. to be health approved. I mean, how many companies can probably do that? I don't know. But our goal was, again, sim- I simplify. So my theme that I try to exude is I'm an ordinary guy and I just figured out the extra things to do extraordinary stuff and everyone can do that. And so simplify, I like to go back to learning like kids do. Cause I think it's the easiest way to get over stuff. How do kids learn to ride a bike? They get on, they fall down, they get on, they fall down. They eventually figure it out. They wobble, they run into a tree, they keep going and now they ride a bike. I'm that guy. I'll yeah. keep trying till I ride the bike. I'm not going to guarantee you I'm going to ride it the first time I get on and I'm not that special, but most of us aren't. And it's the same thing. It's like, what is the problem? So I opened my first ever bowl. I, I self-funded a store in Poway with the idea that I could disrupt the, the healthy eating crisis in America and help make um, access to healthy food, affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible for everybody. And it cost me $230,000 to build my first restaurant. I'm like, okay, that's kind of expensive. If I want to go build a thousand of these, that's a lot of money. And I see like, oh my gosh, if, if a few of the locations suck and I have to close it, I just threw that money away. Like, why is this so it's expensive? Why does it take five months to open? Why are all these things like this? Is We're not curing diseases like, here. Why, why, why? Yeah, it's like, like this is pretty simple stuff. I mean, construction has been around. People have been building buildings. And, and some people do it really fast. Like even when you yeah. look around, you see these big apartment buildings going up. Certain builders are like, sheesh, I swear. I just drove by yesterday and they barely broke ground. And they're <laughs> there's like, a, there's a reason. Done. There's a reason. And yeah. then there's other people where you're like, is that like a broken down project or what happened? So yeah, you're right. I mean, there's like people doing it. Yeah. Very on every level, yeah. Well, it goes back to why I think experience is overrated. Because if you're experienced in construction, you know how to do it, but that's how you've always done it. And the idea of uh, new and innovative thinking is hard because you're stuck in the forest and you're missing out, right? You're lost amongst the trees because this is the way you've always done it, the pain points that you've dealt with. But technology is always moving. 
-hmm. innovation is always happening. Creativity is always being there. So sometimes fresh eyes is what you need. And so when I looked at it like $230,000, I said, okay, this took way too long and cost too much money for an acai bowl store. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to simplify what I do. We're an ice cream shop, but we don't sell ice cream. We sell superfoods. Yeah. It's not that complicated. It tastes like ice cream. <laughs> Literally. Right. But, but like, when you yeah. think about the sophistication, like this isn't a yeah. teppanyaki restaurant with yeah. hoods and ovens and 27 of them mm -hmm. and, and health fire codes. I mean, we're not cooking anything. Um, and so then I looked at Ikea and I'm like, well, Ikea can build furniture in a box and I can build a desk in my house and a dresser from a box. Ikea figured this out. Why can't we apply the same logic to what we're doing? Interesting. So I went to Jake, who built the first Everbowl. He's a friend of my son who, who I hired to basically do the first one. And I said, look, I want to bring you on full time. I want to start this company. And we call it um, we, we Build. We Build Stuff, one word. We Build and then Stuff. And um, I want to build 100 of these. So let's figure out a model to make it cheaper, faster, and easier for us to do this a time and time again and hopefully profitable. And initially, it wasn't to make money. It was to save money. Right. Problem one cost too much. Problem two took too long. So let's save money and make it faster. Right. Solve the problems. So we did. And it went from 230,000 to 150 to 100 to 80. And it went from five months to three months to a month to three weeks to two weeks. And so we just Sheesh. continuously fine tuned our own model. So now we do them really cheap and really fast. So I grew really quickly. Right. Yeah. Even in an environment like where costs have gone up, you've sure. still been able to figure out because you start to buy and scale, right? Because now I know I'm buying, I'm building 50 of them or I'm building 20 of them. So I'm going to buy more wood in bulk. I'm going to get the discount. So you just have this stuff stored somewhere ready to go. I have, we have a, we have a WeBuild facility and a big warehouse. We have eight stores on the shelf right now. So if you called and needed our traditional store, I, it's, it's done. It's ready to be installed in four days. Um, and that allowed us to pivot as we went to franchising after COVID when we made that pivot and I stopped having to pay for them all. Now I can pass that savings to franchisees and when franchisees get to do this, they get to save a ton of money. Oh, my gosh. Right? And, and the time. time. Yeah, that's the killer. Right. Now, there is obviously COVID has derailed some of the time. Like, we've had some nuanced problems. You know, certain elements at the peak of COVID slowed us down where we were faster before. So had uh, hiccups along the way. But overall. Um, Everybody had hiccups to deal with. Yeah. Everyone had hiccups. Some bigger, some smaller. And in the day there's no more problems, I'm no longer needed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then it's time for someone else. But that's what's been fun about Everboy is I was able to vertically integrate other startups and start other companies inside of what the bigger picture of what I'm doing. Because we also have Unevolved Products, which is our clothing and our import and manufacturing arm where we import superfoods and manufacture our own. We were talking about one of the other yeah. acai companies earlier, but we that bring in cool. our own acai. That was um, pretty interesting, I think, uh, to go into that. So I was asking, he just saw the company up here and I was like, oh, do you ever use it? He goes, well... They want their own brand, and I was like, "Does it because it matter?" And I was like, "If you could explain why it matters to have your own food, you don't. We don't think about it because we're the consumer." But on his side, when he explains it, you're like, "Oh, this makes complete sense." Yeah, I mean, essentially, <clears throat> you have Everbowl, and if I was to bring in, I'll use Coca Cola. Let's just use Coca Cola. McDonald's brings in Coca Cola because they're not in the soda business, but they have their own meat. Uh, dairy, you know, where they get their hamburger meat and chicken farms. Like McDonald's is the largest chicken farms in the world from the chicken nuggets. They're also the largest toy manufacturer in the world and they don't sell any toys. It's all from the Happy Meal, but they manufacture <laughs> more toys than anyone else on the planet. What? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. I didn't even know that. I know. Wow. But, but they bring in Coca-Cola because the soda is agnostic, right? They don't care that they want you to want Coke and come to them and buy Coke because Coke is actually their most profitable item on their menu. So that's why they're great to stand behind Coke. Well, at Everbowl with acai, for example, it's a, it's a berry. 
right? It's a, it's a superfood down found in Brazil. So whoever picks it off the tree can put whatever name they want on it if, if it's the same tree, right? So I can go down and call it Jeff's Berries and, and, and sell it under that name, and that's great. Well, some of the acai importers, they don't have stores, so they're building their brand, and they want restaurants like smaller operations to say, hey, to I, want, I want that acai. It's Coca-Cola. The problem for me is that's what we sell. I want you to find our flavor unique, and I want you to come to us and not be able to get it somewhere else. And so we manufacture our own. Because when you manufacture acai, most people don't know this, acai, you never get fresh acai here. And the reason is, is as soon as it's picked, it immediately starts to die. And it has about a 24 to 48 hour shelf life off the tree. quick. Yeah, so it has to be immediately IQF frozen and shipped here frozen into a pulp. Usually it's, it's, it's emulsified, it's turned into like packets and shipped here or bricks. And it's pretty much run down with a mixture of the pulp and the water, but it's frozen to keep the quality and the integrity of the product. And so we all bring it in frozen. Well... Then you manufacture it into either your sorbet if you're going to do scoopable or you're going to leave it in its brick. Some people add sugar. Some people add guarana. Some people add coconut palm sugar. It, pick your poison, however okay. you want to do it. The flavor is super different because we've bought some, yep. like certain brands, and you're it's like, crazy. ooh, I don't like that one. And then the other ones, mm-hmm. some taste more like a sorbet, like you said, and yep. then other ones have like a different flavor. It's crazy. It yeah. is, yeah. And yeah. so for us to bring in someone else's, even if it's a good product, it loses the value of why you come to Everbowl. So think of like Baskin Robbins yeah. if, and Hagen Dazs, right? Yeah. Or Ben and Jerry's. They all have their own ice cream because if they all carried Baskin Robbins ice cream, why would I go to Hagen? Yeah, right, smart, right? right? Okay, it makes so, sense. Like, so we needed our own. And yeah. so I'm friends with everyone in the industry and I respect the ones that do it right and do it from a, a eco-friendly and take care of the factories because for me, it's very important to understand the why of what we're doing. You know, Everbowl, when I say it was my passion, really it's the word unevolve, and I'm actually not wearing an unevolve shirt today, which is rare, yeah. <laughs> um, or a hat. But unevolve is a lifestyle. It, it means to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever, and it's a word I trademarked. And so it's to be the best version of yourself. Live actively, eat stuff that's been around forever. Everbowl's tagline is made from stuff that's been around forever. And so unevolve products, which is our brand that imports superfoods, like these are acai seeds, and we work with wow. the local families. Oh. Yeah, you guys can each have one. Um, that's the natural, that's white. And, and we work with local families down in Brazil that hand make these and we get to buy them and send these kids to school and help these local families where we're not just taking from a sec, essentially a second or third world part of the, uh, part of the globe, taking from them and then selling it here at a, at a markup. We're actually being part of that ecosystem and give back because there's a, I, I believe that you can do business in a positive way and help everyone. And that's the way we choose to do it. And so um, that's also important to us. So when we pick import, like we don't import every superfood ourselves. We don't bring in our own pitaya anymore. We used to. Now we work with uh, bigger companies. But we only work with ones that do it, you know, in a sustainable way that are giving back to the community and are thoughtful. So how did you choose acai bowls? Like how, mm-hmm. do, how did you think of all that's, the millions that is of businesses like the, yeah. you could start? Sure. Like? Uh, I'm crazy. <laughs> um, that's like that's the answer <laughs> yeah pretty much I, i'm i struggle with a little bit of hypo i'm a bit of a hypochondriac so i'm afraid of disease oh uh, wow okay yeah. uh my aunt died of breast cancer when i was a kid and i always remember when i was eight or nine you know finding why she died when you know it's hard for kids to understand and she was one of my favorite aunts and i just remember my dad saying she had cancer and i was like well why didn't they cure it because they didn't find it early so you have to find it early well when you hear that as a kid and you start worrying like okay i want i don't want to die of cancer uh, find it early and you're okay, you start being hyper-focused on potentially uh, your own body. And then 
you have a pain, you're like, Google, what is that? And Google tells you it's cancer. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you put any symptom in yeah. Google and it's yeah. cancer. It's the yeah. first yeah. thing that it always tells you, you know, and, and the internet's powerful in good and bad ways. And so um, I started to learn that prevention is better than cure, right? Preventing illness is easier than curing illness. And so when you look at our diet, how we live, and before the word unevolved was, was created, I used to import superfoods that were high in ORAC scale and antioxidants and uh, stay young and be healthy and get as much so nutrition you were already, as possible. already doing all this research and getting it yourself. Exactly. And you couldn't get it anywhere. Back in 2014 and 13 and 12, you couldn't go anywhere and get like it. Like a Laird Hamilton. Kind of. Yeah, he's kind of like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got the superfood yeah. creamers, yeah. you know? Yeah. Same thing. It yeah. was a matter of necessity. I was importing. There was a company in Chicago that brought in the pulp that I was ordering from, and I would have it overnighted to my house, frozen, and I'd put them in my freezer, and friends would come over, and I'd make them this weird acai bowl, and they'd say, what did you say to me? And I'm like, you're going to like it, and they'd eat it, and they'd be like, oh, my God, this is really good. And that happened for a few years, and so when it came time for me to figure out something I wanted to do, the truth was I was doing business consulting at the time, and I helped startups and entrepreneurs, and I work with them, and I was like, I'll open an acai bowl shop in the front because no one knew what that was, and in the back, I'll have my office. And so even if the front doesn't work, I got the back. I got, I'm making money in the yeah. back, but maybe I can pay for this office and still introduce this superfood. And when I opened in Poway, California, uh, down here in San Diego, my first store, it took off after a few weeks and people started like, oh, man, this is really good. And then people started to come back and it got busier and busier and busier. And I quickly refocused on, okay, let's build this into the next scalable business and decided I wanted to build them everywhere. Were you, were you, uh, are you born and raised in San Diego? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. San Diego, born and raised native. That's odd. You too? Yeah. What part? Yeah, uh, Claremont. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Scripps Ranch. I moved away for a period and then came back, but born here. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many of us. And not you're many. from? Miami originally. Oh. Yeah. But I've been SoCal since 92. Okay. Why, um, what do you think of San Diego? I'd like to get your perspective. Because, well, because you built all these stores. Sure. You've had to look at all the markets. Like, what's your point of view? San Diego's interesting. Because San Diego, to me, even though we're south, is kind of like a loft apartment over a nightclub. <laughs> uh, i've never heard it put like that that's yeah, awesome you know uh la's right there where all the mayhem is and where everyone thinks of california and where everything yeah. is and san diego is this better weather less traffic city right next to it uh my family's originally from canada so that joke is not mine there's a comedian okay. Canadian comedian i've heard that one canada's the loft yeah department yeah, yeah i've heard of that yeah, yeah okay. i'm just applying it reverse God, who is that one I yeah can't i can't remember who it is uh, either but i don't want to take credit it wasn't mine yeah that's awesome um and that's what I think of San Diego. You know, I think we're, a, we're, a, we're one of the sleepiest, smallest, big cities in the country. Most people don't realize we're like the eighth or ninth largest city in America. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah like San Diego. 35 million people come here a year to visit, which is crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's insane. It's the best weather in the world. Yeah. And that's the problem. We're handcuffed. Because every time I've, I left for undergrad, I went to Tucson to University of Arizona. I did uh, some law, my first year of law school in Miami before transferring home. Um, everywhere I go, I'm like, the weather's, even in... Miami, where weather's supposed to be good. It's very hot and humid in the summer. And it rains a lot, too. It does. And in the summer, you could be dodging some... No, honestly, it's deathly hot. It is. I mean, yeah, you're sweating. Summer, you like, you wow, can't, water. like... There's many months you could go for a jog, but you're like, this is... Cr it's it's a little gnarly, you know? You're like, this is like... You're going to pass out. Like, or, there's no time of year here where you feel like you need to be gone. Correct. It's, yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, and I learn how how much of a winkling it's made me because everywhere I go, I'm freezing. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. it's not that cold. I'm like, I live in San Diego. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If it isn't between 58 and 88, yeah. I don't know what, it, that's yeah. all I know. Yeah. 58 yeah. to 88 and yeah. usually 70 and sunny. Yeah. You Nothing know? extreme. 
Yeah. Nothing extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I like San Diego. It's my home. Um, I think it's not the greatest place to necessarily always do business because for those reasons, a lot of the talent moves to LA. If you're trying to hire executive level or, you know, anyone who's been somewhere else, they usually navigate to LA or even Orange County, but getting them to San Cause Diego because of the money. Yeah, exactly. And San Diego's a military town too. You know, we have a huge, it's like the biggest military city on the West coast. Um, between Pendleton and Miramar and uh, big Navy, big Marines out here. And so it's, it's, it's a cool city. It's an awesome city, but um, we're definitely combating the fact that LA and Orange County are right there. Yeah. It seems like we're getting more tech biotech. It seems like biotech kind of went away and now it's coming back, but, and people are that can work from home. I've, cause we're in the real estate. A lot of, a lot of people are definitely heading down here. Yeah. They're getting out of San Francisco, coming out of here. It's it's pretty obviously whether they came down here to visit or they went to school and they're like, I can work from home permanently. I'm out of here. And I think I saw a stat, and you guys would know better than I do as the experts. I think San Diego has like the highest real estate appreciation in the country, or right up there. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's one of the most unaffordable too. That's yeah. what I meant. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah, affordable. Yeah. I hope that means appreciation. And, yeah, yeah, basically, it's <laughs> apparently too much. And Crystal and I were actually looking because we just kind of like sometimes I randomly be like, hey, why don't we check this out? So we were looking like. We went back to 2000. I don't know why I picked that number. I think because I think I was thinking the tech boom. So we went to San Francisco and here. We we're actually pretty close. For median income. For really? median income. Yeah. And median income here is not at 100 yet. And, in, and San Francisco is about 120. But we've definitely made in the last five years, it's been a pretty, we're starting to, but we definitely need more high paying jobs because of real estate. So comparatively, like the real estate in San Francisco was doing so well, uh, has, I mean, I didn't feel like a recession. I lived in San Francisco for a few years, like 2007 to 2009. And there was like no recession. <laughs> it was see. weird. It yeah. Was, yeah. While everybody else was like starving and losing their houses, San Francisco, like values were going up every day. But everybody's spending money because they're right. the money, the tech, but it was they're crazy. Making more money. So their average income is much higher. Um, but in San Diego, our, our, real estate wasn't jumping as much, but also our income was lower. So now the gap is kind of getting bigger. Like I think San Diego, people are gonna have to start making a little more money to afford the average cost of a home. Yeah. So that's like the disparity that we have right now, but it seems like that gap is starting to, to close a little more. I mean, it makes sense. San Diego, yeah. I mean, everywhere being that I, I do travel so much, it's incredible how much of a sunshine tax we do pay down here for <laughs> everything. I mean. I was literally, I, my sister lives in Denver. I was just there a couple of weeks ago with my, my wife and kids for my niece's birthday. And gas was like, I mean, yes. this is before the war. So before the recent yes. spike, but gas here was like 470 and it was 295 there. Yes. I'm like, is the gas different? Exactly. No. Am I missing something? No, we say the same thing all the time. Cause when we travel, I'm like, why is there, why is our gas so much more expensive than everywhere else? I think we're paying 88 cents or they're, we're paying 70 or 88 cents per gallon. Yeah. In tax? Yeah. 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 And like they didn't even, our state didn't come out and say, you know, one of the couple of states is we're going to waive the gas tax for yeah. no, no, a couple months. They're talking about giving us a $400. Per registered vehicle. Yeah. More free money. So I filled up my, I, I drive a truck. Uh, it's an F-150. I just filled it up the other day and it was $200 and nine, $200 and 90 cents or $200 I can't remember. But it was $200 to fill it up. I was like, wow. And what most people who don't live in San Diego don't realize is not only is gas super expensive, but because San Diego is such a spread out city, yeah, 
you have to we drive. put miles on our car it's not like new york city where i'm six blocks from a million people no we are miles apart i mean i live in san diego i came here it took it was like 26 miles yeah that's just normal everything yeah. in san like the joke the common joke of san diego is everything is 20 minutes away yeah yeah everything yeah and that <clears throat> that's why I, so i always ask people if they're in a sales job or just traveling around <clears throat> their gas is just it went from 400 to a thousand a month it's a problem like 400 bucks it's like okay she got me for a month we're mm -hmm. getting that with everything like even the nanny or the landscaper or the you know everybody's like with gas going up i just need like i get it charge extra yeah. you know i mean you guys have trust it packs food because the yeah. truck that brings the food to the grocery store it costs more money yeah Right, I mean, just employees too. I yeah. mean, the minimum wage here is fifteen, but you really say like, that's the start. Mm -hmm. So you really like, if you want the quality, you're gonna probably go twenty, twenty five. Well, I, mean, I remember when everything like when the war kind of just started and gas prices were starting to creep up. I remember seeing like a on Instagram or something this truck driver saying like, "Look at this! Look at this! I'm here and wherever the gas was only like." four dollars and whatever but he's, he said he's never saw thousand dollars to fill up my semi truck like so that comes to your food that's it that's not no no, no he goes but that's not the kicker he goes the kicker is inside my truck is milk mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when you go to the store and you bitch about milk i'm here he says i've never seen gas above like three dollars he lives in the midwest he goes this is insanity your milk is going up because of this gas and that's, that's right. yeah and so now all the semi trucks that have to fill up in california paying like <laughs> Six or seven dollars a gallon. LA I mean, is you're like fifteen hundred dollars, probably and, two and, grand. In California specifically, we were running into this during COVID, and we still are. Where a lot of semi truck companies that do cross uh, cross the country transportation, like when we're shipping stores or we're shipping product, they won't come into California anymore because of regulations. And, and there's a lot of different rules that are different from the rest of the country. So a lot of trucking companies are stopping at the border and. That they won't they won't so you pick have to have up. another company pick up the product and bring it to correct you. so we we manufacture a lot out of arizona so we're okay but we do a lot out of southern california too and you start to realize that the different states they do impact and it, it's it's a problem as i as i always it's say it's just it's the consistency of problems that we just need to keep solving and that's the fun part though yeah i mean it's not fun having problems but it's fun solving them and hopefully the war gets over soon and we see a return in the price of gas um i don't think we're going to see a drop in the price of consumer goods because things don't get cheaper i mean in my yeah. in my life i don't remember things ever getting cheaper i just no. remember we just become normalized to it and then it stops appreciating for a minute or we increasing that for, a too, for con even construction materials somebody was like hopefully the cost of construction materials is going to go down and i'm like when has the price of any good <laughs> ever gone down right never it doesn't like this is the new high mm -hmm. hopefully it'll just Stay right here for a while. A long while, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> a long yeah. while. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, since you've started so many um, businesses, like what is the, uh, I mean, you're obviously good at that part. What is like, what is, why are you so good at it? Like what is the, what's the magic sauce there? Because you've done it and a lot of people have, can't even do one time. You've done it multiple times, which is crazy. Simplification. So I, I teach a success formula that works for me, but it's really getting laser focused on starting businesses are hard for a lot of people because of the totality of decision-making and, and you don't always appreciate and understand that a decision you're making today, what impact it's going to have, right? So if you don't keep the theme accurate along all of those decisions, right or wrong, the whole way, you're really setting yourself up for the ping pong effect. And then you just don't know what's going to hit you and how you're going to adapt. And what I mean is today 
where you put your office, who you, what type of people you hire, what is your core why? What is your thesis as a company? What is your pricing? Are you are you going for bulk and and um, you're going to make your money in selling small price, uh, low cost but volume, or are you going to be a premium product, Nordstrom's or Walmart? Right? Mm-hmm. There's so many choices you have to make. Well, if you're not keeping that consistent along every decision you make, like Walmart can't hire expensive talent inside the store because they're selling low priced goods. They can't go and get the designer brand names because they're selling low priced goods. So they're conscious on looking for low priced, hopefully decent quality goods that are going to be affordable for the masses. They're not looking for the Kardashians to walk in their store. They're looking for John and Debbie and Michael and Tony and, you know, everyday people. Flip side Louis Vuitton doesn't want those regular people necessarily buying those products. They want the higher end. They want the Kardashian. So it's it's understanding what you do in your business and how you simplify it. And so getting your core values, and I use the word core values because um, I think it's the easier one for everyone to understand, is so important. And making sure that you put all your decisions in, and look at them under the lens of your core values. And so for me, like I have five core values that I use. They're pretty similar to the five at Everbull. Four of them are the same. One of them we've altered at the company level because it's not just me. But when I started Everbull, it was these five. And it's make friends, have fun, which are the first two rules to work at an Everbull. And and there's a lot that I can unpack there. It's not as simple as what you hear when you say make friends and have fun. Like there's a lot there. And we could spend an hour dissecting those two themes. Um, But besides those three, the next three is take action. And for me, it's take immediate decisive action. The idea of Kaizen to get 1% better every day and be change ready. And those last three are important to me because when I do those five things and I put any decision, whether it's, should I open my own construction company? Should I bring in high quality product or low product? Should we hire this human? Should we divert to this process? Should we bring in someone else's acai our own? When I go through those five, I can be pretty clear that the end result is going to be on brand for what we're trying to accomplish. And so I've simplified the scaling of my companies or starting companies to that, to where Kaizen really helps, right? So if you go through the the last three, take immediate decisive action. So many people are sitting here right now listening to this or talking to someone about these, all these ideas in their head. They have the next billion dollar idea, but yet they're working a job they don't like. Why? Well, because they're not going to take action. And that stops so many people. I take immediate decisive action. It's a, it's a core value of mine. It's something I do. So if it's, we're going to get into the water bottle game, I'm going to take immediate decisive action, meaning I'm taking one step towards that right now, whatever that is. I'm going to tell my best friend who's now going to hold me accountable. I'm going to tell my spouse. I'm going to tell my kids. I'm going to post it online. I'm going to do a Google search and oh, I got a name. I'm going to buy the domain name. I'm going to spend $9. I'm going to do something that's taken me one step closer to doing it, but it's an immediate decisive action. It's the idea of win stacking. Um, second is Kaizen to get 1% better every day. The reason people don't take that action, Jeff, is because I hear is I don't know what to do. Great. You don't need to take one small step tomorrow get 1% better. And I use um, a working out analogy here when I'm teaching this concept because I think it it resonates well. And it's, if I was overweight, out of shape, wanting to get in shape, and I set in a lofty goal, January 1st, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to run a marathon. Okay, some big, crazy, audacious goal. Cool. I've never run before. I'm not in shape. I can't do it. Well, if tomorrow I go get gym clothes on and I try to run a mile, I'll probably hurt myself. I'll probably be really painful and I'll probably quit. Or I might get through a few days and then I'll quit. What if you break it down and, and you apply the wind stacking model of 1% better? Today, put on your gym clothes and watch TV. Can you do that? Yeah, okay, I can do that. Tomorrow, 
put on your gym clothes, walk or run to your mailbox. Can you do that? Yes. Okay. The next day, put on your gym clothes, walk or run to your neighbor's mailbox. And if every day you went one mailbox further, that's obtainable. There's no one day to the next that you're going to tell me as I go through this with you that you couldn't accomplish. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Time's going to go by and six months are going to go by. And now you're running or walking probably a couple miles and you're going to start feeling stronger. And you're going to, you know, today I'm going to go two mailboxes because I'm feeling good today. Yeah. Today I'm not feeling good. I'm only going to go one more mailbox. That's fine. Because win stacking, which is consistency, which is the idea that you're building off of yesterday, you're getting success, success breeds more success. So as I'm navigating the company and I'm dealing with all of the problems, I simplify it back down to what I'm trying to accomplish today. What is the 1% better I'm trying to do? What is that mailbox I need to get to today, regardless of all the other fluff? And if I'm not feeling good today and I feel like everything's going against me and there's wind at my face and any problem that could have popped up, popped up, and I stubbed my toe and I got out of bed and I ran out of gas and my kid forgot his this and all the stuff, I'm just going to hit that 1% because that's a doable place to be and I won the day. And when you win the day, guess what? Eventually you win the week, you win the month, you win the year, and then you have these successful companies and people go, how did you do it? Because I simplified it and I did the simple thing that everybody can do today. Brush your teeth today. You did that, right? Make your bed. Make your bed. There's a reason though, like for example, there is a lot of successful people if you... A lot of them say the reason to make your bed is not to make your bed. It's, it's, to, win the, it's to win the first thing in the morning. Yep. It's to set a goal that you can accomplish first thing in the morning. Because when you do that, you tend to do better all day. And we're all human and we're all subject to problems and bad days and stress. <clears throat> and, and so for me with companies, I've just simplified what seems like scary to a lot of people because I'm able to do it. But same thing. Like I look at artists, like this beautiful art. And we were talking about it before we started chatting in, in your office, you know. And you told me an awesome story, but that's what's so, that's the whole thing is we're all extremely talented in what we're extremely talented in. And if you ask an artist, how do they paint this stuff? I have no idea. Like I can barely, I am the worst penmanship ever. <laughs> yeah, right like, literally. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. He, he might have you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I can't read what I yeah. wrote. And I'm like, what did I write here? Yeah. Um, but I look at what they did and it's like, how did you do that? And to them, it started the same way. Well, one day I drew a box, you know, like a yep. friend of mine is an artist and he tells me he does shapes. Everything is shapes, like triangles and squares. And you could draw a horse's face with like, he was teaching my daughter because she's really into horses, like with shapes. And I was like, huh, never thought of that. But same thing, simplified. So for me, it's about simplification because I learn mostly from how kids learn. You know, I'm an ordinary dude trying to figure out the extra things to do. And so when you're caught up and you're listening to this and you're going, how do I apply any of that? The way you apply it, and I know we, we just touched it, but is take a look at what your mission is that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's getting in shape, starting a company, getting a raise, getting a promotion, learning a new skill, a new language, and make it simple. What can you do today to get 1% better? Because if you do that, you will be successful. It's a guaranteed success plan. might not happen as fast as you want, which is unfortunately, and then, sorry, the last one just to round out was change ready, which is the last part where most companies fail. And they fail because they're so set in their ways they're, they don't want to change. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you can see some of the greatest examples. Blockbuster should have been Netflix. I mean, there's no greater example from our generation than Blockbuster should be Netflix. They had the chance to buy them. They For didn't. 50 million. Yep. They didn't because they, that's ah, not going to happen. Think of Radio City or Radio Shack and Circuit City and all of the big brand box stores that could have been an Amazon. Because <sighs> Amazon was a bookstore, right? Amazon sells more electronics online. All these companies could have been, could have been, could have been. They didn't change when change was required. The dinosaur theory or the ostrich. Put my head in the sand. I've done it the way I've always done it. 1997, 98, you go talk to how many 
mom and pop and brick and mortar retail stores that didn't want to adopt the internet, they're not in business anymore. And so being change ready and recognizing change is going to come whether you like it or not. So always have options and, and, and is, is critical because by always having options and, and understanding that and not being afraid of change, but when change is required, take, go back to your core values, take immediate decisive action, Kaizen myself to success and be change ready again. And using the making friends and having fun is the culture and the core belief for me that allows me to say, I'm going to invest my effort and energy and time into this because if I don't have fun doing it and I can't make friends and making friends for me is about relationship capital and opening doors and allowing me to basically take the elevator instead of the stairs to where I want to get, um, those things allow me to do it. And so I use my core values. So I would suggest everyone identify what their core values are or what that roadmap is and use that formula every day quickly. Like I can do it subconsciously, right? Like someone says to me, well, why don't you get into the plastic business? You make spoons or wood spoons. Why don't you come up with a spoon company? Well, I can tell you because it's not going to move me 1% closer to my bigger goal. It's not, it's not something I need to do. It's not getting me there. I know what I need to do. I wrote that map out and then I work backwards. I'm like, okay, I need to get to my mailbox today. And that's what I'm laser focused on. And if, as I'm going to the mailbox, I see that the mailbox has been taken out because it's now an email. Well, guess what? time to change what I'm doing and be change ready. And now instead of going to the mailbox, I'm going to go to the fire hydrant because the mailboxes are gone. And so how do you, um, who do you follow? How do you kind of just stay like, you know, onto like engage of what's going on what's moving, what's happening in your world? Like what do you read or listen to her? So I, I, I'm, I'm an avid reader. Uh, and by reader, I do mean audible. I actually don't read books. Um, I listen, (laughs) but to me, they're, they're reading. Yeah. So I, I have part of my thing is, is I don't listen to music in the car uh, unless my wife and kids are in the car because they take the radio. But <laughs> if it was up to me, I'm either listening to a YouTube uh, podcast or an audible book. Um, and I, part of my process, and for me, is you have, in order to be change ready and in order to take immediate decisive action, you've got to be an avid learner because I'm always learning things that are outside of my, my world because you don't know when and how you're going to need them. And because I'm a business owner or an entrepreneur, especially a serial one, and I solve problems with companies, I need to learn as much as I can about all walks of life. You wouldn't believe how much time I'm spending in, spe- spending in finance and accounting, right, for my companies, uh, marketing, raising capital, legal. Luckily, I have a law background, but contracts. You know, business owners have to deal with all these things, and, and they're like, ah, it's not my field. I'm going to let someone else do it. Well, that's okay, but you should have a basic knowledge or education on as many things as you can. Also, because my rule number one of make friends, the easiest way to make friends is to find commonalities, right? I'm not in the real estate business. You guys are. But if I met you at a event or we met at some third uh, mutual friend's house, if I have a common ground to connect with you guys and I could talk a little bit, like I mentioned, I did hear San Diego was the highest and we talked about it. Yeah. I found something that is interesting to you, right? So I made an investment and thought about how to learn from what my people in front of me are. You start to make friends. And by making friends, you build what's called relationship capital. And relationship capital can be traded to get on all the big podcasts, for example. As I made a goal to get on podcasts, I was able to reach out to Dave Meltzer. And I was on his show. And then Dave said, hey, you did great. And I said, hey, Dave, can you introduce me to some of your friends who have big shows? And you know what? I've earned the right to ask. And he said yes. And he helped me. Because we're friends and we became friends because we found common things. And so it all stems from that, le- that constant learning, right? Constant learning, it makes you more interesting than interested, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to be more interested than interesting. 
And I know that's reverse, right? But you need to be more interesting so people want to talk to you. But when they finally get the chance, you need to be more interested in them right. than interesting yourself. That's a, that's a good uh, you see? point. Yeah. Like and the yeah. only way to do that is to be, thank you, is to be somewhat, uh, just for you guys or for me? Oh, you're whatever. Oh, is to be somewhat general, like a general, have general knowledge about so many things. And so I just like try to learn as much as I can and follow. And um, masterminds are great, connecting with like-minded people that, even if they're in a different industry, that's my only thing that I don't like about a lot of masterminds is it attracts all of the same industry. And I feel like the best ones are when they get a little bit outside of their their space and realize that I can learn a lot about real estate from you guys, but you can learn a lot about real estate even from someone like me who has no real estate experience because I'm in the restaurant space. I'm looking signing at a ton of leases. I'm yeah, a, ton of a leases. lot. Well, like you said, though, it's people that have a lot of different perspectives. Like if I'm only talking to people about my business that are in real estate, I'm going to get a lot of the same right. advice <laughs> and stories and suggestions and stuff. But if you're talking to other people in different businesses, I've gotten a lot of ideas from people who, you know, somebody that might own a hair salon or somebody who is, you know, in uh, social media marketing or whatever, because you're like, okay, so maybe I need to stop thinking so inside the box mm -hmm. of my business and do something that's worked for someone else in a different type of business. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I, I feel like uh, Everbowl is a really good example too of the change because I don't know all of the inner workings. Obviously, none of us do about your company and all the things you had to do in the background. But as a consumer, we've had a lot of Everbowl <laughs> uh, bowls. Like we've watched kind of the evolution too with you guys is like, you guys kind of had just a classic uh, acai bowl to start. And then now you have that vanilla stuff that's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, addic it's addicting. It's completely. But you guys add that. And then you, if you add coffee and you added other things, just other things that I've seen a big evolution in Everbowl already too, just as a front-facing consumer. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was about getting the entry point, right? It was understanding that if you knew about acai, you liked us. But a lot of people are like, yeah, I never heard of acai and I don't want to. Well, my job is to get more customers in the door. So I started to rethink that, right? And I use my same model of saying, okay, if I can get one new customer a day, Kaizen, can I get one new customer a day? Yes, I can, but maybe not with acai. Maybe that's not going to be the lead point. Vanilla and chocolate have done really well in ice cream and yogurt for eons. Why do I need to be, I don't need to fight the trends. I need to adopt them. So we created a plant-based vegan cacao chocolate, right? So from the actual superfood of cacao where chocolate comes from and vanilla from the vanilla bean where vanilla comes from. And instead of using dyes and weirdness and all the stuff that you find in the junk, we made it actually from its truest form, tastes really good. And now I can give samples. And so it's like, oh, you never heard of acai? No problem. Do you like chocolate and vanilla? Try this. Oh my God, this tastes really good. Awesome. While they're in there, I eventually get them to try acai. And what we've seen from our, our um, customer life cycle now, and especially as we enter into the mid mar you know, mid middle of the country and East Coast, where it's not as progressive, I guess, yeah. with, with eating habits as Southern California, they start with chocolate and vanilla. Food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. they start with chocolate and vanilla, and migrate. It's like, oh, you know what? Today I'm going to try vanilla and acai. Oh wow! And then before you know it, they're actually having acai by itself. Yeah. And they're realizing that they like stuff that they never knew they liked. And they're ordering goji berries and cacao nibs and, you know, bee pollen and, and all this fun superfood toppings that they would never have even known what they were. But because we made it one mailbox at a time for them, they were able to get there. And that was the same process. And it's just, I know it's redundant, but truthfully, like, everything I've done is as simple as simplifying it down to two plus two is four and just realizing two plus two is four.
it's math. And so if we just repeat that over and over and over again, I can sit here and start another company and do it in another industry. But remember, I'm not, I'm not curing cancer with, you know, biotech and I'm not writing code to be the next operating platform to compete with, with Apple. I mean, those are much more sophisticated type of companies that you have to have a much higher level of expertise, but I'm taking the masses and the variety and saying, look, at 99% of the companies out there that are started in our small and medium-sized businesses by either sole proprietors or et cetera, how can they get their company stronger and better? And that's the impact I want to leave because I do think outside of the, when you get past the personal need side, and, and I, I think you guys can re- relate to this, when you have enough money to pay your bills and have the lifestyle that you want for your family, it's like, what does drive you? What is exciting to you? And I like startup, starting companies and I like running companies, but I'm only one person. You know what I find to be just as rewarding is working with and seeing entrepreneurs who are successful and getting to advise them and coach them and be part of their story, even if I'm just a voice in their background and seeing it come to life and them being and achieving that financial freedom and that success that they were looking for, that's genuinely rewarding. And when you don't need to worry about what you eat every day, so to speak, you don't have to kill to eat every day, you realize how rewarding that is. And you get to build a tribe of cool people and be part of that. And so I try to be part of those kinds of groups. You know, that's how we met Yeah, at one of those very similar groups. Yeah. And with a lot of people that were essentially trying to help each other and be part of that, making friends and let's have some fun and let's disrupt. And there's an, and it's, it's not a, I'm a big, big, big believer in, in the world of enough, you know, and it's not like if I'm successful, you can't be, or if you're successful, there's less for me. There's plenty for us all. And your success means you're going to have more money to buy more Everbowls and maybe you want to own an Everbowl or my digital marketing company, or you're going to have employees. You want my payroll. Mm-hmm. And if I'm successful, I'm going to want real estate and I'm going to need financing to get more involved in real estate. So my success is your success. Your success is my success. And when I'm not competing with you, we're, we're all a team and it's fun. And so it's just a, it's a much more enjoyable experience. I could not agree more. I feel like kind of the shift, uh, these days has definitely been a lot more collaborative, I would say, with our generation, mm-hmm. uh, which I love because it, especially in real estate, and, and I'm sure it still exists today, obviously, but I feel like there's less competition between people and more collaborative effort, which is a really nice shift from that kind of like doggy dog <laughs> uh, mentality. But I was going to ask you, what? so what is the next mailbox or fire hydrant for you (laughs) well um so we were as i mentioned to you guys i don't know if we were taping or not but we have uh we just opened our 54th store we're opening another 250 over the next couple years i know so for me it's about making sure that we grow properly um that we build our community and introduce everyone to every community my goal is to get to all 50 states as well as eventually international and make kind of everyone accessible everywhere um, that's the bigger long tail. That's not the next mailbox. That's like where the end of the mailboxes are. Yeah. Um, most notably in, in short, like specifically over these next couple of weeks, we're, we're now really starting to see a turn on, on our build out schedule. Um, so we've expanded, we just moved our office. So that's exciting for us. Um, we just grew and we're building out the team more and, you know, I have a, I have a bunch of theory, uh, theses that I use, but another one is just in time. And I believe in just-in-time learning and just-in-time execution, which is when I hit that mailbox, I'll be ready for it kind of a thing. So that's part of that, take immediate action. And so as we're kind of going through it, that's that's what it is. But I, I want to circle back because what you said a second ago about collaboration. So Elon Musk 
changed my life with one saying. And what I mean is when I started Everbowl, I was worried about other acai bowl stores, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm competing. Yeah. And then when I really defined unevolved, the lifestyle, the why, I realized it was contradictory. And I realized it only when Elon Musk was asked the question about electric cars and he was talking about, you know, are you concerned about everyone else starting an electric car company? He goes, I don't compete with electric cars. I compete with gas powered cars. And I realized that's exactly right. I don't compete with other acai bowl stores or salad or superfood stores. I compete with fast food, exactly. the fast and the fried. And the day I heard him say that, and I had my own epiphany from that, and I realized, oh my gosh, he's right, and I need to change my perspective. And I realized I'm now against fast and fried. And if you're eating at my competitor, air quotes, every day, but you don't like Everbowl, yay, good, that's good. And that changed my whole business in the consumer retail side that I had never thought through. So I just wanted to mention that collaboration because I think it's so true that we collaborate because you're not competing necessarily with who you think you're competing with. You're actually competing with people who are not even part of your, your ecosystem, your sphere, right? It's funny you mentioned that. So in in my business, there's like the banks, then there's retail and then there's wholesale, which I am. And I used to be, I've done done the bank, but I've done the retail. And so the guy that runs the second largest lender, um, he's right behind Rocket Mortgage, 42, took his dad's company, he's just crushed it. <clears throat> he gets on and he just said, we're not competing with brokers. We're competing with re- our, 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 the people. We're basically the fast food is the retail and the direct lenders. We can do it better. Yep. So before the financial crisis, 65% of loans got done by mortgage brokers. Okay. So when the collapse came, everybody's like, well, who are we going to blame? And Wall Street's like, well, you're not going to blame me. And they said, why don't we just blame the mortgage brokers? And that's what kind of went out. So like, oh, you're a mortgage broker? Oh, you're a scumbag. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of went into the direct lending because if you're a mortgage broker, you're a bad guy. And then now this whole time has gone by. <clears throat> so the mortgage brokers just said, well, how are we going to win back the market share? We've got to get better. We've got to get technology. We've got to come back with a vengeance. So I'm back in the broker. And in, in 2020, out of 100% of the loans that got done, 18% were only on the broker. Wow. So when we meet with a marketing company, go, so what, who's your competition? I go, look, I'm just trying to get in front of the 82, whatever, the 78% of people over here, whatever, 70, yeah. 80%, and trying to educate them of why we do it better, why we're faster, better rates and all this. That's it. I'm not, you can go there. You can go to the McDonald's and all that, right? So it's funny that you say that is I tell people, well, I'm not in competition with the brokers. We right. already have it. We're literally just trying to educate these people say, for lunch, you know, you could come over and just eat an acai bowl and you'd probably feel full and you'd be like, that was not dessert and that was healthy and that beats McDonald's. So it's kind of like we're all in that in our industry. That's how my industry is. And I've learned that from this, just like Elon Musk, we learned that from Matt that he owns UWM Mortgage. If you have a mortgage, you might've got one from him. Um, it's wholesale, but that's basically in our industry, it's the same thing. And that's yeah. kind of like the go around what's happened. And I, I think it's, I think it's industry agnostic. I think it's pretty universal. And when I look back at previous companies before I heard Elon Musk articulate it so well, he's right on across the board that when you stop competing with who you're not competing with who you think you're competing with, mm-hmm. you're always competing with someone else. And ignorantly, I used some of those tactics successfully, not realizing what I was doing. Cause like when I started at ADP and I get asked, how were you so successful so quickly? Because I was there six months and outsold everybody. Was 
most people in payroll thought <clears throat> they were competing with every other payroll company, accountants and banks, because accountants can do it for you. Banks can do it for you and other payroll companies. I made friends with bankers and accountants and made a deal that I would send all of my clients to that CPA and that bank. And if they could send their clients to me for payroll, I'll give them all the payroll data, very easy to consume. And it's a great symbiotic relationship. Well, we did that. I didn't do it knowingly or thinking. I just did it because that's how I learned to sell was solution-based and friendship-based. So looking back, my, co my coworkers at ADP never went and tried to do that necessarily because they looked at those people as competition. And I looked at those people as a symbiotic relationship or like those parts in the ocean where like the shark gets stuff bitten off of him by a little fish that he would eat anywhere else in the ocean except in one of those cleaning stations if you know anything about the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's like there are certain parts. And so hearing Elon Musk say that was like, oh, he just wrapped that so well and so concisely in an easy to digest way. So very... No, it's cool when you kind of know and it's easier to like move forward in that direction. It's like, this is the way we're going. Well, it's crazy how it shifts your mindset completely yes. of how you approach things and problems or change or whatever in your business because it, you're not acting on the defense anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, now when, when you're acting defensively, I, I think sometimes it's needed, but probably 90% of the time it's not. And so your mind is just not clear to think when you feel like... <laughs> It's fight or flight. Exactly. And it's simpler because if I wanted you to buy an acai bowl store from me as a franchisee, or I wanted you to be a customer and you live in Miami, we don't have a store yet. It's opening in, in this, this year. So it's opening in June. So I can tell you don't eat acai at all because I want your first one to only be an Everbowl and don't even think about a competitor and there are no competitors and ignore all those other guys. Or I could say, hey, Go find an acai bowl. Go find 20 of them. Go learn about them. You've never had one? Oh, my God, you've got to have one. I just gave my com my competitor business. Well, did I or did I just open your eyes to my entire class of product? Now, when I come, all I have to do is be better than them. I don't have to educate and then prove I'm better. If I don't do that and, I, and I'm so worried about competition, I have to do two things. I have to educate and make, show you I'm the best. Instead, a rising tide lifts all boats. The more acai bowls you eat, the lower the cost of acai is going to be across the country because more people will consume it, will import more. It'll be cheaper. The marketing is done for me because now all I got to do is come in and guess what? When the new acai bowl shop, shop opens, you're going to try it because you're an acai bowl fan. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you'll find out. But now I don't even have to do as much marketing when I come to the market because it's there. So it just, to your point, it changes perspective, but it also makes business easier. And, and the more you simplify the nuances of business, entrepreneurship, running a company, being an employee, doing your job, the more successful you'll be, and then the happier. Do you, um, do you, uh, it seems like you're, you like to build businesses, invest in businesses. Do you do invest in real estate, anything else? I, I do. I'm not a very good real estate investor <coughs> because uh, I haven't yet been, uh, so I, we, I own four houses, but I don't rent any of them for money. <laughs> uh, family reasons, I, I, but, and, you know, I have a vacation home and, um, in-laws I own we bought a house for my my mother-in-law and, and her husband and they pay us what it costs but one day we'll be able to rent it and my father-in-law we take care of and we, we bought his house I've looked at getting into the real estate game I'm always looking I want to I have have like a tranche of money set aside like for last few years I'm going to I'm going to I've looked at and almost pulled the trigger on a few same thing though it's it's a question of how do I move forward and I'm caught in the same I should eat my own dog food, right? And apply my core values. But um, as I'm doing it, it's been like one thing after another. So 
I've been looking at it. You know, I used to invest in Fundrise, which is this, uh, it's a, I don't know what you, how you would classify it, but it's a product that you basically give them money. They buy all that on your behalf and you get a check every syndicator. 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 Yeah, okay. yeah. Better, better set of syndicator, okay. you know? Um, and I would like to get into the rental game except it's, it's a little complicated. Then the Airbnb game popped up, you know, and now it's, well, do you, how do you do that? So I actually did just go look at a property that I was considering. Um, and then I've been looking at a piece of land to like, do I skip all that and develop? And I have so many friends in real estate and I've seen them all do so well that I know There's it's so many ways to be successful in real estate. So many ways. Yeah. Yes. Like when you go in that Avenger mastermind, not, that's why I love not everybody's in real estate. It's actually a fraction, yep. but there's wholesalers, there's flippers, there's, uh, syndicators, there's the builders, there's, it's just, it's, it's like, you can make money in so many ways. Oh, you know? for sure. Oh, yeah. for sure. And, and the question is always, <clears throat> is now a good time, right? Because market's high, interest rates are low rising, but they were low. So the question is, you know, yeah, market's high, but interest rates are low. Or when market is low, interest rates probably a little higher. So it's just choosing when and how you want to do it. And what's the right market? You know, I looked at Tennessee, which was like the hottest place to, you know, buy real estate. I looked in Texas. Um, Problem is, by the time you've heard of it, it, that means it's already hot. Especially, <laughs> of, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. But, and that, yeah. that goes back to being in the industry. Um, and I like to, so the short answer is the next time you see me and I come on your, your show, hopefully by then I am a successful real estate investor because that is a side, you know, most of my investments outside of, I have the homes that will be appreciating and have done well, but um, as far as passive income or passivity, uh, you know, stock market, crypto have been huge places that I've done. You're a crypto guy? Yeah, for a long time. Um, it's fun now because it's becoming mainstream. Um, my journey, I started in 2013 with crypto wow. and I lost all my money. But I invested in this algorithmic tool that was supposed to get you in and out of trades of Bitcoin and never have too much exposure. What well, ended up being a scam. We ended up doubling our money, me and my dad. We put some money in together. We doubled our money on paper. We looked at it and then eventually it all went fluff because it was some, some scam. And then in 2017, there was a big ICO craze and um, I got back into it. I bought a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum then, which I still own. Uh, so that was the first time. Done I, well. Those have done very yeah. well, yes. Uh, but I lost a lot of money on the ICO craze. There was a bunch of small projects. Uh, um, things that are, some of them are still around, like Tron is still around and Ripple is still around and mm -hmm. IOTA. Um, but this is back when they were going to change the world. The challenge again is, I still think it was, they were right. The timing was wrong, right? So think of it like, um, like my, uh, MySpace or Friendster, yeah. right? doesn't mean they weren't successful or couldn't have been. They have, they were right. That is where the world went. They just weren't, they were a little too early and didn't have all the right tools. So I've been buying and holding ever since uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum since 17. So naturally I've done very, very, very well with crypto. Bitcoin is a little bit different than crypto in the sense that I, it, they need to be carved out. Most crypto is like startups, their, their ideas, and they're going to potentially change the world, but they're going to potentially fail, and most are going to fail. And you have to know that going in, just like most startups are not going to be successful at what their true mission is, because we all set the crazy goals of, I'm going to be this big as Subway, you know, the largest restaurant chain in the world, 44,000 locations. Jesus. Everybody's probably not going to end up at 44,000 locations, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to... So the, if Subway was saying, yeah, they weren't successful, right? Because eventually we're not going to be growing. But point of that is crypto has been a interesting space. Um, same thing. If you're not learning, I think it's, I, I say this to anyone who asks, because recently there's an announcement, Everbull adopted the Bitcoin standard. Um, I went public with that. 
I take my payroll in Bitcoin. We're doing a lot of this stuff to help promote. We teach our staff and offering it. We're going to be able to do a lot of the things. I say the same thing I say to my kids. Don't tell me you don't like it until you've at least invested time to learn it. Decide you're not going to participate in Bitcoin or crypto once you've spent a little bit of time to learn about it. Don't not learn about it and say you're not going to, you're not interested. It's not for you because that is going to, well, as far as I'm concerned, that is breaking the success formula. Be educated and decide, take immediate action to not do anything or to do it, but come from a place of education. If you do it ignorantly, it's like not saying the internet's not for me in 1998. Bad strategy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe learn the internet and say, I don't need the internet. It's not for my business. Okay, that's cool. But, but just learn it. But at least and that's what I tell people. Take 100 bucks, buy something, convert it, do whatever you want to do. Just try it. Don't mm-hmm. go all in. Just, just first try it and get comfortable. And then you let, just don't let anybody just go. Go watch 100 interviews. Go you never know something until you at least try it. Because that, that's even been my experience. Like, for example, there's so many things that we've done in real estate. I know a lot of things about a lot of real estate, but there's also a lot that I don't know. So for example, when the syndication became like super popular, there's always been syndicators, but it's become a really trendy thing to be a syndicator now. So we were like, okay, let's invest in some deals passively. Cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I I learned so much going through that process when people go, Crystal, you must know so much. Like, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, no, I don't. Just because I do (laughs) loans and I own my own real estate. I've never done that before. Sure. Throw my money in. You learn. I want to continue doing this. I don't want to continue doing this. But the thing that I really love that you've kind of said to us today, I mean, maybe in not so many words, is that, um, yeah, you fell off the bike, you ran into the tree, you lost the money, you did this, but it's not like that formed your opinion. Like that, you know, so-called failure formed your opinion and that you said, oh, I lost all my money in Bitcoin. Therefore, I don't believe in Bitcoin. It's a total scam. I'm never going to do it again. You got back on Mm -hmm. and you tried it again and you've done really, really well with it, it sounds like. So that's the, I think one of the biggest kind of takeaways too for people that even if you thought you weren't entrepreneurial, that you are because you're kind of glutton for punishment too in a way. (laughs) You're like, I'm just going to figure it (laughs) out and keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to let the one thing say, you know, Bitcoin's bad or owning a business is bad or because you had one setback. It seems right. like you get back on the horse and I'm sure there've been challenges with Everbowl over the years as well. hundred percent. So I guess my question is too, just like, it's really easy. I feel like to say, um, simplify because I love that idea. Like I'm going to go back in my business and be like, why am I overthinking mm-hmm. all these things? How can I simplify? But so when you're in the chaos of, you know, you've got multiple stores, opening and they're growing and some are not doing as well. Or maybe, you know, people are like, I don't know if Jeff is going to make it with this Everbowl thing. It's just acai bowls. How are you going to get a retail? Like you've got all this noise around you and all these things happening. What have been the things that you've done to simplify and kind of take it down to the nuts and bolts and go like, okay, these are the things that are important for me to work on in order to take the next step. Well, truly it is, what is that mailbox, Kaizen? So I I truly simplify it down to one thing I can do right today. So it could be, good example, March March 18th, 2020, we, COVID. This is the, yeah. Yeah. I had 28 corporate stores. We didn't franchise. We had multiple states. I had over 400 employees. And I was basically told that we're going to, we didn't know regulation in San Diego was, you know, Southern California was extreme. It was scary. We didn't know what was what. At that time, no information. So we made the decision to shut down 28 corporate stores. I had a phone call, or my team did. We laid off 400 plus people that day. And I went home that night and 
everything we had worked for was done. And okay, what do we do? So essentially I had to eat my own dog food very specifically. And so the next day I called in my executives and I said, none of you are employed, but none of you have to show up, but I'm going to be in the office tomorrow figuring out how we get back. They all showed up. We came up with a concept called later bowls, which is okay. People are stuck at home. They still want to eat. We have these retail stores. We have customers. They can't get it right now. What do we do? Well, we put our frozen food in packages of 10. We spun up a Shopify website that day. We called them later bowls and we started selling 10 packs of 10 bowls. We'll deliver to your house. If you're within a few miles of our store, order it here and we'll deliver Tuesdays and Fridays. We put a little cute box together. We started getting local orders from our fans, our customers that did consistently eat every bowl. I was driving the van on one Tuesday. Brian, my chief development officer, did the next Friday. Matt, my CFO, did the next Tuesday. Eric did the next Friday, and we rotated. And in the rain, in the COVID, we were there packing them ourselves. We had no employees. But that was a simple mailbox of, we're going to get product in customers' hands, and we're going to still be a a resource while we figure out how the hell we're going to turn this back on. Fast forward, by doing that, we came even further, and we realized, oh, my God, people like this. So I used my core value one of making friends I have a big relationship network because I make friends with as many people as I can and I started reaching out to people and I said does anyone know anyone at QVC because QVC is big right and it doesn't cost money to go on TV and somebody introduced me to somebody who introduced me to somebody who mentioned somebody and I finally got a friend of mine out of Texas who has relationship he introduced me to a buyer of QVC I overnighted them product I got on the phone they loved it we did an airing we sold out 18,000 bowls in six minutes. That is amazing. Fastest sellout of plant-based product. We ended up getting uh, 16 or 17 airings on QVC between July of 2020 and now. We were the big deal in January of 21 where they uh, QVC bought over seven figures worth of our product for one month. We've done like $5 million in sales on QVC. We introduced it to the Midwest. They're now buying franchises and here we are. Wow. So how did all that come to be? It started with simple. What can I do today to keep my business in business today? Such a cool story. Stay in business today. So simplify. What's my mailbox? What do we have at our disposal? And what can we do to keep momentum going? Because momentum breeds momentum. Win the day. Today was we came up with later bulls. Next tomorrow, we built a Shopify site. The next day, we all went on social media and and pushed it just around our stores and said, hey, if you're around an Everbowl and you're a fan... We have these bowls. We're doing our best. If you're stuck at home and you can't have access to food and you're scared of COVID, don't worry. We're going to leave it at your door with dry ice. You have nothing to worry about. People bought it. We figured out what to make it look like. We then figured out, hey, people like it. What are they asking for? Start asking your customers. Hey, we'd be cool if you could mix and match flavors. No problem. Can you add granola in the box? Sure. And then we have all of a sudden this QVC product. And then one step closer, eventually that mailbox became QVC. And then that mailbox became national sales of Everbowl all across. That's I think that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's yeah. But I mean, that's an example of, of yeah. like, today it's easy to say, oh, how did you think about all that? I didn't. You're, no, you're yeah. cornered, you're an entrepreneur, and you said, we got to do something. Solve a problem yeah. today. Solve the, you know, solve one of those. And it's cool, like, during COVID to see, there's so many stories of people pivoting their business, and, and it actually opened up another channel of business for other people. They're and like, that, and oh that's my that gosh, I didn't Change even. ready, right? Yeah. So it's kind of how I use my core values. But if you don't have a defined set of rules that work for you, whatever you is, your personality, your style, you don't know how to handle the totality of the decisions that have to be made, Mm -hmm. right? Because when we reopened, we reopened all our stores on May 1st. We decided because of travel restrictions and because of COVID, we had over 500 franchise requests 
that we had received over the last couple of years that I just never advertised. We weren't franchising. So I just had this inbox <laughs> of anyone who had ever asked. So then we were like, well, you know what? Maybe now's the time to franchise. So we sent out a boilerplate email to all 500 to see if anyone still had interest. And a lot of them did. And then I started saying, okay, let's hire a franchise attorney. And then we started figuring out franchising. And by July 1st, we sold our first franchise to one of our employees and I financed him to get him open because he was the first guy I ever hired. His name's Ben and it's Rancho Bernardo. Um, and we're like, cool, you know, who better than the first employee ever at Everbowl? Yeah, that's we're going to cool have, story. it's a cool story. And, yeah. and I, I love him and he's a hardworking guy. He lives and breathes Everbowl. So it was like a win-win and it was a very familial thing. Worked out. Then his brother was the second franchisee, Mission oh, yeah. Valley. Yeah. He bought one of our existing corporate stores. And then, uh, we met some different capital groups that started buying bulk and then we sold off all of our franchises and now we're a franchise company. That's the fifth core value of change ready. We changed when we had to because of COVID. We went to direct to consumer. We went to a outside the four wall sales company. We went to a franchisor because the world changed and I could have stayed my post, but I mean, and I, and I don't feel bad saying this, but part of me does because COVID ruined a lot of businesses. We're stronger coming out of COVID than we were going in. Our PL is stronger. We're stronger. We have more attention around us, more investors, more stores, more employees. We're, we're furthering the unevolved lifestyle. So I don't wish COVID. I wish COVID never happened. Mm -hmm. But that's where you can learn how you can take a bad situation. And if you're change ready and you're blockbuster and the traditional DVDs going out of business because the computers are there, change your business. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, just like the financial crisis changed a lot. Everybody's like, wait, where's all these foreclosures and short sales that were supposed to happen? And I was like, the banks learned from last time. Why don't we just get people through a time? So let's give them a loan mod or forbearance or something. And then today is the lowest. Um, it's one percent of sales in January of foreclosures and for, forbearance. Wow! In two thousand twelve, was thirty five percent of sales nationally. So the banks learned mm -hmm. that if we ruin people's credit and we do this, I always tell people it's not talked about. But from the financial crisis, as soon as it hit, you didn't make your payments, your car payment, your credit card, your credit went to shit. But I tell people, we lost consumers. When you lose a consumer, most of them need a credit card or a, a bank loan or a car loan or some type of loan to start a business or buy something and you take them out, they are out of the equation right. for years. That doesn't help the economy. So if banks go, wait a second, if we can just furlough these people, help them out, and get them through this period of time, that what do you know? Lo and behold, their equity went up and all this. The work, like I said, 1%, these people are going to get worked out. We didn't ruin their credit and all this. They can be back to consumers in life. So I tell people, just as that learn, I think the banks, they don't talk about it, but it's very clear. We can see from our, just like, you know, just these things happen. Just like even real estate developers got crushed. They realize we're going to slowly how we build and we do things a little bit differently. Yeah. So it makes total sense. It's kind yeah. of like we were talking about with the travel industry Crazy. and the Zooms, right? It seems Same like thing. you were sort of building a franchise from the beginning without knowing it though. Well, yeah. You know, like just with the construction <laughs> and how do we simplify this? Like it was already like this simple process. Like they say with franchises, anybody should be able to walk in and do this. Mm -hmm. You were, were already kind of setting it up that way. Is that just your personality? Like just the way you view things? Well, it, it, it kind of goes to what I said at the beginning, right? Two rules of an entrepreneur. Stay in business today and always have options. Mm -hmm. Always have options means I always have options. So you got to build your your business in a way that gives you options. I'm able to franchise even though I don't franchise. I'm able to sell direct to consumer even though we weren't. We're able to do, offer financing and build out our own stores and sell them. 
because everyone says, hey, does we build build other things? Not today, yeah. but we could. Yeah. Right. If you call me tomorrow and wanted to build a restaurant or a nail salon, I and mean, we got approached by super, a Supercuts franchisee to open eight of them for them. We turned it down because we're busy. So we're choosing not to turn WeBuild into, Maybe one a, day. A, Today. into yeah. a third-party customer-facing fabrication installation company. But I always have the option. If tomorrow Everbull stopped and I was done, I could open up WeBuild and start selling WeBuild. I like the name, too. Yeah, I thanks. like it. It's catchy. Yeah. It's a cool name. WeBuild, it's actually WeBuild, one word, capital W, capital B, mm-hmm. and then stuff. That's the name That's of the company. Awesome. WeBuild stuff. But the point was to have options. Same thing. So... It was built, I wanted to franchise, but I didn't want to franchise. And I didn't want to franchise because I didn't like where franchising went. Franchising in America used to be for young entrepreneurs, not in age, but in experience, or people who have jobs and are looking to get financial freedom and want to work for themselves, who don't necessarily aren't wealthy and rich. Well, fast forward from when franchising with McDonald's really took off to where we are today. Now it's a a tool for the wealthy To, to get approved, like, I'd done really well. There are certain franchises I might not even qualify for. Like the type of wealth you need to demonstrate. I mean, to open a McDonald's, I think you need two and a half million dollars in liquid. I think they're up to yeah. now. Uh, well, and you see a lot of big companies purchasing these tranches of franchises yep. now. So yeah, you, it's a different yeah, yeah it's Wall a different Street, game. Yeah. <clears throat> so for us, it was like, well, I don't need to. I don't. My goal was not to help, and I mean this respectfully, but I'm not. My goal isn't to pr- create another vehicle for wealthy people to get wealthier. Yeah, that's fine. Wealthy people know how to make money, and that's cool. My goal with franchising was, can I reintroduce it to the hardworking man or woman who who maybe doesn't have the, all the financial resources to do whatever they want, but they're going to put their blood, sweat, and tears into this project, and this is going to set them up and their family up for success. I get inspired by that. I can get behind that. And so once we were able to do that, and that's why we launched the finance division of our company, and we financed some franchisees, because if you don't have the money, I'm not going to let money stand in the way of good people opening Everbowls. That's defeatist. That's not my, my goal is to help everyone live an unevolved lifestyle and make everybody accessible. We'll figure out making money. That's the easy part. The hard part is finding those good people and wealthier, the wealthier people who do buy those McDonald's, they don't run them. Mm-mm. Right. And it's all about a P and L for them. That's it. That's what and it is. Listen, I've made a lot of money. I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be put into that wealthy bucket, but that doesn't mean I have to only cater to my people who have achieved that. The goal is there's so many more people, consumers and people ready who aren't there and you can find rock stars. And if you look at the collection of franchisees that we have and our staff, a lot of them started in our stores. And some of them didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of when they became a franchisee. We'll help you because you're the right human and your core values meet our core values. And we know you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that's why franchising became viable is we did it at a time when we were built for it. And to your point, we kind of built it to be franchised because if you build a real, that's what franchising really is. You've solved all the business problems. It is duplicatable. It is repeatable. It is a system. And we built the systems for ourselves, not for the sole purpose of franchising. And you see that today. A lot of businesses open one or two locations and they franchise. I had 28 corporate stores in multiple states before I even uttered the word franchise. Yeah. And it was after COVID and four years in. And yeah. so we weren't thinking about franchising, but we were thinking about franchising for ourselves. Can we build this so simple that I can open a store quickly and effectively put a process in place and have any human run it? Yes. Well, you're franchisable, but that doesn't mean you have to. Does that mean though, like, cause I, I feel like a lot of people who try to franchise are not as successful too, because they're trying to do it almost too soon. And you haven't worked out a lot of the kinks. Like I, I hear people say all the time, because my uncle was a, owned some um, orange theories 
and things like that. So he got to learn from a really good franchise model, mm-hmm. but there are other franchise models out there that are a lot more disorganized, are not as easy you hear, for owners. You can hear the stories, like, yeah. I hear like this whole franchise community is small. And mm-hmm. so you hear about, oh, this company's terrible. And then this one's really good. And it just seems like the fact that you opened 28 stores before you ever even franchised gave you the opportunity to work out all the kinks. Absolutely. Uh, many of the kinks. I was going to say, yeah. I'm still learning. Many of the kinks. And I found even after 28, yeah. there's still so much that I don't appreciate because yeah. I had never opened one on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, I had never opened. And, and remember, they call soda pop in the in parts of this country. Yeah. Right? Yes. If you don't know that, and all of a sudden you don't use the word pop, but that's comfortable for them, that group of people, well, you're not really engaging into their way of life, their community, their their style. So it's being... How do you have rigidity with your process, but adaptability with where you're going? And how do you make sure that you understand who the consumers are? And I also don't know the markets outside of the markets I know. So when we opened a store in, you know, we, we just opened a store in Reno, Nevada last week. And, and I've been to Reno once in my life before Everbowl, right? So I couldn't tell you a good center. I don't know the shopping behaviors of the consumers and where do they go? And am I on the right side of the street? And is that the center that no one goes to? And they call it the graveyard because every business goes there to die. How would I know? Yeah, I wouldn't. So that's where it's like, there's a lot of learning and, and franchisors who <clears throat> have one or two locations. I can speak from experience. They don't know what they're doing. And I don't mean that derogatorily. I mean that in their own business, they know what they're doing in those two locations. They don't know what they're doing in all the others. I have 28 and I still don't know what I'm doing. So no, no offense to them. We're all working on that. Right. And is 28 enough? I don't know. We're going to find out. We hope yeah. so. Right. We, th- we think so. But if I had opened 200, I would have known a lot more. Yeah. Right. And the more you can open and the more you can grow your business first before you. Now, some have to do it and some want to do it. Some say, hey, I don't have the means to open anymore, but we have a cool concept and we're going to work together. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. I support that. You can be a successful franchisor with one or two locations. When I say you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing with stores three through 50. You're going to learn with your franchisee. And if you're putting in the effort and you're willing to roll your sleeves up and work with them, it can work fine. You know, we're still learning. We, we still make plenty of mistakes. I'm sure my franchisees have had their moments where they're upset with us. Um, rightfully so. I'd be upset with us too. You know, we make mistakes and we're not perfect either, but what they do know is our approach. And that's what I can promise. That's what I bring as an executive at Everbowl with my businesses, with advice is be consistent with your approach the model will work eventually and you will have problems. You will have issues. You'll have trials and tribulations, but you should feel confident of, you'll know, you'll be able to predict how we'll respond based on our core values and our model. And I go back to that again and again, because that's how I, that's my compass. When I'm traveling the bad seas, you know, I, I know where my true North is with my core values. And so you should be able to predict how will Jeff and Everbull handle this or how will Jeff, you'll, most people who know me can pretty much guess what I'll, probably think and how I'll approach it. And that makes us predictable in a good way. And so it's easy to do business with someone who you can predict how they're going to behave and respond, you know, versus loose cannons where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Very cool. Yeah. We could probably talk to Jeff all day. (laughs) That was fun. Um, So many nuggets, Mm -hmm. so many things, honestly, for anybody just like the startups and all the stuff you've gone through, like it's cool. And honestly, I didn't even really think about You did your franchising after COVID, so that's, I mean, that was a huge, you didn't, nobody, like, that, talk about it. No, just, no, just talking, no, just, like, like, when it hit, though, when he shut down, it was after, like, just, nobody's expecting that impact, you know? Yeah, 
It, it was COVID. I mean, nobody says, okay, business go down this much. Nobody said zero. <laughs> there, nobody said they planned for zero. Right. You know, like you don't. Right. Right. Like, but there's a plus now. And, and again, it's how do you turn it negative into a positive? I mean, I hate to be cliche, but right now, all businesses out there who are looking at their 2021 numbers are going, God, last year was rough. And it was. We, our sales were down. I mean, we had stores closed for part, months of the year. So my year, my year end numbers are not as great as they used to be. Well, guess what? 22 versus 21, my same month versus last year, get to be great this year. Yeah. Right? And how you come out of COVID, everyone gives you a pass for COVID. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone understands the COVID. Well, now we're working our way out. And so for those people listening or people who, who are looking for what do I do now, understand that now is the most important time. It wasn't. You survived. You're still in business today. Great. Now it's we rebuild. We come out of this and it's going to be competitive. It's going to be tough. I don't know that we're going to have as much access to capital as we've had because the government obviously subsidized keeping everything afloat. Like you said, mortgage companies allowed people to have deferments. We printed stimulus, et cetera. But right now is the critical time for business owners and people who are scaling or trying to scale a company to realize I don't have time to waste right now. Like right now, I need to be thoughtful. I need to be thinking about my business and really apply it because this is that moment where what you do in the next two years defines the next right kind of right after the financial crisis in the real estate yeah i mean because you know the economy is crazy things are we kind of know we're going so i always tell people it's a marathon not a sprint and i think going through covid i I always told crystal i said forget 2021 i said they're printing money nobody's paying bills 2022 is going to be when the challenge starts i know i get it it was for people shut down but now it's like you're open and now you're back to reality mm-hmm. and the government's not, you got to pay your landlord. You got to do that. It's like, it's, we're back to reality and there might be some rough waters, but if you make it through, you're going to crush it. Well, and sure. excuses, unfortunately don't pay bills. No. Right. Sadly, they don't. Even if it's a justifiable one, we yeah. all dealt with COVID. When I came home on March 18th, I promise you, I, I have this kind of stupid thing I do. It's my five minute pity party. And I remember you saying yeah, this. Yeah. It's my own personal thing, but I spend five minutes and I cry, scream, curse, feel like a victim, be upset with this all happened to me, poor me, et cetera. And I set a timer on my phone. I literally do for five minutes. I go through that emotional moment for five minutes. When the five minute timer's up, all right, I'm done. Cause you can, you know, it's like after a bad breakup, like eventually you have to get over it. All so. the complaining in the world isn't going to change anything. It's not. But if <laughs> yeah. you don't, but if you just, I found that if I dusted it under the rug and didn't give it its moment, yeah. It was lingering. Yeah. It was still there in the background. Subconsciously, I felt it. I still felt some part of it. So I just figured out, I'll give myself five minutes privately. And I felt like a victim for five minutes that day. And then it's, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. Right? I got fell, I fell off the boat in my suit at the wedding on a yacht, and now I'm in the water. Well, okay, I'm going to get out of the water now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Step one, yep. dry off. And then we'll pick ourselves up. Where's um, the best place to people to find you, learn more about you? Uh, social media at Fenster Jeff always works. Um, connect at jefffenster.com. You can email me. I'm pretty available to people. LinkedIn, as I mentioned, I have some courses on LinkedIn that are free. So if you're not a LinkedIn learning or LinkedIn uh, premium member, uh, LinkedIn learning is a cool place to go if you are. If not, I can send you guys, whoever's listening, free links so you don't have to pay anything. It's all free. Um, yeah, hit me up. Love to always talk business, entrepreneurship. I really love this. I loved your story and and your approach uh, to business and life in general. So we have a final question we ask everybody. What's your definition of generational wealth? Generational wealth to me is the ability for my kids to do what their passions are, regardless of what it generates in income. 
So options, I I think of wealth as options. I'm big on options. And so um, the amount of money is irrelevant. If, as I say to my wife all the time, like, I don't know what my kids are going to do when they're grownups. I want them to do what they love to do. And my goal in life is to be in a position to give them the means to do that, regardless of worrying about how much does it pay. Um, Not everything people love to do makes them a lot of money. I don't want my kids to have to make that choice. So for me, generational wealth is passing down freedom and options to my children and hopefully their children to where they can uh, put their meaning behind something passionate and be their best version of themselves and happy. I love that. I like it. That was different. That was new. We ask a lot of people that question. Everybody gets that question and uh, we get a lot of similar answers every now and then someone. Perspective and that was yeah. yeah, I like that. Cool. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on. This Thank is fun, you guys. This was amazing. We learned a lot. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you. Yeah. And he's local. We're in yeah. studio. I, I mean, you delivered off my evils <laughs> to my house. <laughs> I should have you so, some. Yourself. Okay. I was supposed to do a Zoom last week, but when I found out that I could come in, I didn't know I had the opportunity. So I was like, oh, Love forget that. Zoom. Let's yeah. do this in person. It's nice to be in person. Yeah. yeah. Especially so. with your cool office. We appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming. All right. Thanks. Of course, yeah.